I was there at the dawn of the third age of mankind. What about their psychology, customs, social order? How far they go on the first date? Beep, beep. It must be Earth humor. Hello and welcome to Who Are You? A Babylon 5 Watchcast. And it's a watchcast by two virtual strangers. <laughs> Correct. You want to introduce yourself a little? I am stranger number one. <laughs> I'm Laura. And we came together through the power of the internet, yeah. which is how all millennials do things, right? Yeah, pretty much. Effectively how I've done everything in my life. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about you. I'm stranger number two. My name is Chafer. Um and yeah, we're doing this. This is the third conversation that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, kind of stumbled into doing this podcast together. Yep. And as we get to know each other, I guess you'll get to hear a chunk of that as we yeah. uh, try to not tear one of our favorite TV shows to shreds. <laughs> and after watching the pilot again, it might be a little difficult sometimes. I forgot how hard... The pilot tries to be sexy. It's I so bad as well. It's so bad. It's all over the place. And you're just like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I have I have a theory about that. We'll get to that when we get into the actual okay. episode material. But I, I have a, a slight theory about why this show tries so hard to be sexy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it had to try and do something. Yeah, it, it's that differentiate yourself somehow, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, we're we're going to be your new Babylon 5 crewmates and we're going to go through this show together. And to everyone that I have begged to listen to the show and watch Babylon 5 for the first time, let me just go ahead and apologize. I'm really sorry that this pilot is it's <laughs> so bad. And I promise that the rest of the show gets better. I don't, you know, it for myself it's been years. This is like my first rewatch, full rewatch since I was a child. Mhm. And I do not remember when the show gets better. I just know it does. It does. It does. I promise it does. Because I just finished my first rewatch since I was a child. So almost, I think about two thirds of the way through season five. And I might just stop and we'll catch up. Um, <laughs> but I'm just finishing my first rewatch since I was a teenager, I think. I think it would have been like 12 or 13, maybe. Yeah. Um, about the same age for me. Yeah. It does get good. It gets good pretty quickly. But I don't want to put an episode on that, just in case. And see, here, let me give some more perspective, too. I did try to do a rewatch in college, but as you know, college life, busy. You've got lots of other things to do, lots of other people to see. And I had a boyfriend at the time in college that bought me the DVDs of Babylon 5. And he, you know, gave me uh, a copy and he knew it was one of my favorite shows. He hadn't really seen much of it, but he's a nice person. And I think when I told him about it and that I wanted to get copies of these and watch it together. I think I told him, you can just skip season one. Season one's bad. And I don't really remember that. You know, I don't really remember anything about season one, except I didn't like it. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what it is that is missing from my memory, because I didn't rewatch any of that in college. 
there's a bit of good stuff in season one. And it's not just the Sinclair stuff that is mm-hmm. exclusive to it. I mean, we'll get to the Babylon 4 episode, mm-hmm. um, which is my favorite yes. reparter in television history. There's Very memorable characters stuff. in there. Season one's definitely got some good stuff, but the pilot is, it is rough by pilot standards. Yeah. Oh. And I should also add a little asterisk disclaimer in here that this pilot may also be rough, but we're, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we'll get there. Unlike this pilot that we're doing right now, the pilot that I'm assuming most of anyone who's watching along with us will be seeing is the special edition of the pilot, which is what we watched. The easiest way to tell that is if it says uh, a special presentation from TNT when you turn it on, that is the special edition that is a re-edit of the pilot because it was bad enough that they went and re-edited it. Yeah. They added 14 minutes of footage or and they removed a bunch of stuff too. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like apparently there was a whole scene with a zoo that got cut. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember it at all, to be honest. Now, don't tell me what the 14 minutes were that were added. Do you know? I don't. Oh, dang it. I just we should try to find that out because there's there's a couple of spots that I might guess were added. And we can talk about those when we get there. Mm-hmm. But you said that and I thought, hmm, there's some significant moments in this that I don't remember at all. So maybe that's the new footage I or newer. I do know about a little bit of it, but I don't know all 14 minutes. And I know okay. some of the stuff Kosh says is stuff that they went back and added. But we'll get to that when we get there. Yeah. Which I don't even remember what that was because I hard stopped at the halfway point because I wanted the true two-parter experience out of it as much as I could. Sure, yeah. So we're all watching this as one go, but it was split up for syndication at one point into two separate episodes. Yeah, So, and that's how we're going to be reviewing it here. Yes, this, the two-parter experience, especially because there's just so much that happens. Every single scene has something that's important to the Babylon 5 universe or the the overall plot of the show. Yeah. There's not a single scene that doesn't matter. There's so much world building. Mm-hmm. So much world building from Londo. Oh, I would have him narrate my life if I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so dramatic. It's very dramatic. Yeah. And it's, it mirrors a lot of the openings to come in the show. Okay. Some, some of the lines are word for word with openings from seasons as we get to those every season of Babylon 5 having a different song with a different introduction. So there's a lot there. I do feel like HBO Max cheats us a little. If you're watching using HBO Max, the, the thumbnail that they use for this episode for The Gathering is old Londo looking majestic and aged farther than he is in the show. And old Londo does not show up in the pilot anywhere. He's going to show up later in the series. Yeah. But not in the pilot. I think that screen cap specifically is from the other prequel movie. Okay. Because I saw it too when I pulled it up at HBO Max and I was like, he's not in this. Yeah. So, yeah. One thing I do have noted about Londo's monologue is that he's very clear that it's the station's story that they're trying to tell, Mm -hmm. which I thought was very interesting being where I am in the series. Because while the show, I mean, it does leave the station a number of times for a number of reasons. It does follow those characters. But 
I don't know that I would say it's the story of the station. And it's just, it's an interesting perspective and something that I'm going to be thinking about as I watch the rest of the show again, especially yeah. so soon after I had just watched it. Yeah. I'm going to have to file that away to think about that. Because uh, the later seasons, three, four, and five, yeah, they're not as centered around it yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Four especially. Absolutely. Yeah. So mm -hmm. the first scene we really get is uh, Space TSA. If you have a laptop, put it in a separate bin. Take out your cell phones, bracelets, metal. If you have a pacemaker, remove it. And I'm glad that uh, in the future, TSA is just as useless as it is today. Right. Dude straight up walks on with a gun. Uh-huh. Like, just, just waltzes in. Like, Janie's got a gun. Janie Briggs got a gun. He's got a gun! Did he have the gun or did he swipe it from one of the agents? Oh, did he swipe it? I, I think I think he swiped it from somebody. Okay. I, I we well we could go back and scrub through and find that, but I I remember it as him grabbing it from somebody, but Grab still it shouldn't be that easy, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Either way, too easy for this man to have a gun. Yeah. And these guns made me laugh because I do not think that they show up again in Babylon 5. If I'm a correct. weird little, yeah. They look like a little shoehorn. And I don't this remember that. doesn't show up again either. Yeah. Space TSA gets dramatically changed for the rest of the season show, probably because of the thing that happens here, to be honest, because it's so wide and open and it doesn't really uh -huh. feel like a place you would come through. Like if you've ever been into another country and like gone through the lines to like check in with your passport and stuff, mm -hmm. it's not like this. It's, it's space customs. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. And we learned important things in space customs. Uh, you know, just in this small scene that they give us, they tell us drugs are still a thing in mm -hmm. the future because they're, they are stopping an individual who's somehow gotten on with drugs and or weapons yeah. onto the station. He's trying to come in. And we're at Space TSA because a Sinclair is supposed to be meeting the new registered telepath. Yeah. So now we know two things about our universe. We've still got a drug problem that's never going away. And now we have this interesting entity of telepaths. And what are they about exactly? We find out that they have to be registered. So there's yeah. some sort of governmental Psych component. Yeah, Cycor gets introduced yeah. to us immediately through Lita. Which, huh. if, you, you know, if you're one of those who are watching with us and you haven't watched this show before... Psychor is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, it becomes a huge plot point. Take him down to the Psychor testing center first thing tomorrow. How do I find one? We're everywhere for your convenience. And dangerous, dangerous plot point. Yeah. Psychor Cy is probably one of the biggest pieces of world building, especially when it comes to Earth's future. So it's it's cool to see it just introduced immediately. There's um, references in this episode to the amount of training and stuff and what happens to people who go through Psychor. In a bit, we get some of that. Yep. And we do get introduced to Lita, who is a reoccurring character, despite her not being in the rest of season one. I think she doesn't show up again yeah. in season two. Yeah, at least. Because they needed a bigger name actress. Oh, is so, that the reason? Yeah, that's why they cut her. 
Uh, I, that's what I've heard at least or read at some point. Yeah. Um, I don't really think of her replacement as a big name, but she was a relatively fresh actor. I think actress. I mm -hmm. think her replacement Talia, who is yeah. not in this at all. Yeah. Spoilers for episode two. <laughs> Apologies, listeners <laughs> of a thirty-year-old show. <laughs> yeah, and we get uh, Sheridan's two rules. Oh yes. No weapons or dust allowed on Babylon Five. No guns and no dust is one rule, though. So oh, sorry, I, you said Sheridan and it's Sinclair. Oh, this, whoops. <laughs> That's, we're going to edit that. <laughs> we're going to edit that. <laughs> and we get, I'm going to do that so much this season. It's okay. I, that, well, I blame J. Michael Straczynski. This is really all his fault that he gave us two, you know, spoilers for season two, I guess, gave us two leaders of the show that one is Jeffrey Sinclair and one is John Sheridan. So cool. What? <laughs> <laughs> Why do they have to share your initials, by the way? I'll just oh, point yeah. out on that. Yeah. We should tweet at him. Right. <laughs> Who do you think you are, Claudio? If you understood that reference, I'm so happy. I, I didn't, but I laughed okay. politely. I appreciate it. That's fine. That's for the 0.2% of listeners, right? Yeah. The, the Coheed and Cambria fans that are also listening to this podcast. I feel like really Coheed and Cambria's Babylon 5 crossover is probably pretty decent. They're both space operas. Yeah. Coheed, all yeah. of Coheed and Cambria's albums tell a story in order. That's why they're numbered. Okay. I'll yeah. accept that. So, <laughs> anyways, Sinclair's rule. Yeah, Sinclair's rule one <laughs> is no guns, no dust. So, I guess bringing one of those is okay. Uh. <laughs> No guns and no dust. Right. So, he was very yeah. specific. No guns. Either and no or. Right. <laughs> Fine. One, we'll let it slide. Both, not going to happen. And two is he's going to murder you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like, just a side note, that Sinclair has a wry smile on his face through this whole thing? Yeah. Like he's, he's just got kind of a cheeky grin the whole time. The, the grin of an actor who's not sure that this pilot is going to make it to show. <laughs> yeah. And he's just going to have some fun. <laughs> yeah. He's here for it. Yeah. And I'm happy for him for it. After a space TSA, we go to CNC. Yes. Fancy. And I think this set also does not come back exactly. It's close, but the main thing that changes the lighting. Yeah. It, it looks a lot better in the future. So if you thought does how do they command anything in this area it looks better later in the series <laughs> it does even in the next episode yeah yeah for sure the, and and most of the change i feel was in the lighting it's very poorly lit to make it very. dramatic to see ships coming in through the window mm -hmm. but they didn't have the cgi budget to show us ships coming in through the window so we just see weird multicolored lights all the time mm -hmm. and this is clearly from an era of television that predates seizure warnings because it's bad. Um, it's bright and it's fast. <laughs> to the point where I'm honestly surprised they didn't retroactively put one in front of the show. I would have expected that just because it's it's so much. It's You can tell their budget didn't go to CGI. It went to those lighting effects. And there's and a bunch of them like that throughout the episode. It also seems like a lot of the lighting things that they do later in the episode in command and control unnecessary like all of a sudden we've got like lights flashing and klaxons going at one point and it's like what did we really need that? 
<laughs> like, they knew there was something wrong. All six of them can hear each other talking. It's yeah. at a giant bridge area with hundreds of computers and workstations and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And did, you know, obviously that's not happening on the whole station, right? <laughs> like, we don't Terrifying. do Terrifying. <laughs> like Babylon 5, yeah. And we get introduced to not Vanova here. Not Ivanova. It's, yep. Yeah, not Vanova's. That's TM, TM, TM. Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Not Ivanova. I only get to use it for this episode. So I know. Gotta get some yeah. mileage. Yeah. Uh, I I came into this really wanting to make fun of not Vanova's actress because I don't think this is her finest work. It's not. She does yeah. she does well, but uh, she's in Picard. Yeah. She's, she's the Romulan admiral. Exactly. I, I came into this like, God, this actress like so wooden and what's going on here? And I was ready to roast her. And then my husband is like Googling and he's like, oh, she's Commander O in Picard. And I was like, oh, or sorry, Commodore O yeah. in Picard. And I was like, oh, dang, she was really good in that. Yeah. <laughs> but she was also wooden in that. But she was yeah. also a Romulan pretending to be a Vulcan. Spoilers for Picard. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for a two-year-old show. Oh, no. <laughs> Has it been two years? I'm not willing to accept that. I'm going to. It's got to have been. No. Oh, yeah. It finished before the pandemic started. Did it? Yeah. Man. The pandemic really just messed up our time. Oh, yeah. My sense of time is very bad. It wasn't great before. (laughs) Now it's very bad. I can't live without my calendar. (laughs) I'm going to lose my damn mind. So she did. The actress did get better. Yeah. The Takashima character. And, you know, maybe it wasn't written very well to begin with. Uh, like a uh, lot of this episode. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of this episode. But you, you can kind of tell that maybe they were still trying to figure out the commander. And so they weren't really writing it for her. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the doctor. I don't think that they had quite figured out what they were doing yet. Mm-hmm. They both have very bland writing and bland lines. Yeah. The The only excitement we get from them is... At least in the 45 minutes of it that I watched is about coffee. So, mm-hmm. yeah, which I find relatable personally. But we also get to meet Jakar here. Yes. And he comes in hot, at, which is, yeah. you know, sets the stage for Jakar. For sure. <laughs> Especially in these, the first, I want to say 10 to 12 episodes, the dynamic mm-hmm. is very much set up that Londo is the lovable trunk and Jakar is evil. Yeah, I I really didn't remember this. So this coming back to things Laura does not remember from watching this as a child, I had a very positive impression of Jakar. And then like in this episode and the couple next following, I was like, did they try to make him the villain? Like, was he supposed to be a villain in this show? Because I, I do not remember him being so antagonistic. So on my rewatch a couple months ago, that is mm-hmm. the exact thing that I thought. Okay. And on my current go through now, having just started over to do this with you, mm-hmm. I think that they're really doing a really good job, especially with Londo in the casino in a little bit. We'll talk about it more mm-hmm. um, because you can't really talk about Jakar without talking about Londo. They really do a good job of like setting up how they mirror off of each other. In this episode, because a lot of the stuff that we get from Jakar is my race is the youngest and the most eager. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he has that whole speech with Delenn in like 20 minutes that we'll get mm-hmm. to. And, you know, he comes in hot and every time we see him, he is a man of action. Right. Mm-hmm. And we see Londo and it's almost like they build Londo for like a man of lost principle, which is very accurate for him and his story arc. Yeah. And he is constantly reminiscing, waxing poetic about the great Centauri Empire, which we'll get to later mm-hmm. as well. But they do so much work with this initial framing that's so important to their dynamic going forward. And I really, on having just watched the whole series, knowing everything that happens with them and coming back to this again, it's just perfect. Like of yeah. everything that you could not change from this episode and of these first couple, I think you have to set Chakar up how they're setting him up. Mm-hmm. So that way, when everything changes, it's that much more impactful. And, and not to like he had to have known. Yeah. And not to cross the fandoms too much. But when you think about it in if you want to make a parallel to a modern fandom and that sort of dynamic, it's almost like a Lannister kind of setup mm-hmm. from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like in that first episode of Game of Thrones, if you've watched it, you want to murder every single Lannister at the end of that episode. <laughs> They're all terrible. And then throughout eight seasons, although maybe we don't want to talk about season eight. Seven seasons, yeah. Yeah, The the show ended very abruptly. We don't know what happened, but everyone's happy. So, you know, throughout that journey, maybe some of them aren't as bad as you thought. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of a a similar storytelling setup to me. And something I wouldn't have recognized until I came back and rewatched the show. Because honestly, my impression was always positive of Jakar until Mm -hmm. coming back. And it has it should be. (laughs) <laughs> yeah if you've experienced up through i would say even the end of season two of this show mm-hmm. i think it's impossible to hate your car yep. um, so if you're if you're puzzling over him and he does some pretty puzzling shit later in the in the episode that's really kind of gross i yeah. promise that yeah he's he's gonna get better after this we get lita's escorted to her quarters mm-hmm. and we get the first little nugget of super long form storytelling that stood out to me a bunch on the rewatch, which was the drop of Babylon 4 vanished. Nobody knows what happened to it. And I'm going to say this out loud so that you remember it in 10 episodes. <laughs> this will be important later. <laughs> right? We don't remember Ab- this. Absolutely. And I thought my favorite part of the scene was that he just takes a, a random shortcut through the alien sector. I would love to see that on a map, for one thing. Like, why is, <laughs> why is your alien sector right in the middle of things? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. But I think that this is one way that the show really distinguished itself from maybe other sci-fi at the time, specifically the big one, Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You know, in Star Trek, everything is very human-centric in presentation. And not to say that that's bad or anything, or that Star Trek never shows you people who breathe other atmospheres, because they do. Yeah. But they're they're not as prominent in the show as they are in Babylon 5. Well, it was easy, both from a casting, makeup, special effects standpoint. There were so much more limitations. You know, like we got teleporters in TOS because they couldn't afford the shuttle special effects for every episode. So it's, you know, it's just there was so much of that that was constrained by the budget. And it isn't in modern Trek. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that's one of the things that's probably most disappointing about modern Trek. Um, Discovery and Picard 
is they do a lot more with like random aliens and all the makeup is great. And I will never say a bad thing about Doug Jones. And, he's and I am amazing. He's amazing. And I am a fan of New Trek for the record. I'm not, I'm, this is not me going into bash it, mm-hmm. but it would be cool to see less human centric stuff now that it's affordable. Yeah. Easier to do. The fact that we never got cetacean ops in TNG is a fucking <laughs> crime. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a throwaway. Every now and again, we mention that, oh, there's dolphins on the ship. Yeah, there's dolphin officers on the ship. It's not even like, it's not even like there's dolphins on the ship for experiments. They're officers. They joined Starfleet. They have a uniform, presumably. (laughs) I would love to see that. Right? Somebody draw me that. Somebody's drawn that. I've just got to get Googling. Be careful but I wish you luck. So you always have to be careful when you're Googling. Always. <laughs> We're millennials. We know that. The internet is for They mentioned yeah. that no one's ever seen a Ro- Romulan. I mean, Vorlon. So much of that with this first, like, initial mystery reminded mm-hmm. me of Balance of Terror. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's the original series episode where the Romulans are introduced. Oh, yeah. Um, See, I'm going to admit something right now. It's a little bit embarrassing, but I've never watched the original series all the way through. You want something? Most of it's terrible. We assumed that. It's, it's real. So most of it's real bad. <laughs> with ourselves. There's some there's some really good stuff in there. And I mm-hmm. appreciate what it did for science fiction and culture and society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, same, same, same. But do I take enjoyment out of watching it most of the time? No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Randomly, I have seen most of, most, I think all of the animated series episodes yeah. because there was a, a brief time, maybe in, when my son was like three to four, where he got really into it on Netflix and he wanted to watch the animated Star Trek. That's cool. And I was like, all right, it's a Star Trek. And my you know, offspring wants to watch it, I will definitely watch it with him. But, and a lot of those mimic, if they aren't exact plots from uh, TOS, they are yeah. very close. Okay. So I yeah. haven't seen the animated series. It's the only Star Trek I haven't seen. It's, it's a good laugh. <laughs> At some point I'll get around to it. Well, oh, but do something on that. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty great. And then we get our first real dose of how bad this CGI is. And we're in the tram. Yep. <laughs> the yeah. monorail. The monorail. Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine bona fide electrified six car monorail. Which <laughs> isn't a roller coaster this time. Yeah. It is later in the episode, which bothers me. But also there's like this little alien dude. Mm-hmm. If you want to scrub to 1052. Yeah. Hang on. Get my scrubber out. Yeah. I can't believe we're only 10 minutes in. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've got him at yeah, ten forty seven. What's up with this dude in the back of the tram? Oh my god. I didn't even notice him. What's we never see this type of alien again. Nope. He, it's never in the series again, never acknowledged. Clearly a lot of effort went into this makeup. I'm I'm wondering if because the legs don't look attached to the body. hmm Yep. I'm wondering if it's just like a head on a swivel or something. Yeah, like a puppet sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, could be. Because it 
it moves around a little, but like it could just be like a stick behind him. I want to know that character's name. I want to know more about this shot in particular. Look, so we're in the monorail Mm -hmm. and Sinclair is standing there, but the other people are in the the roller coaster. Yeah. Things. What? Why is Sinclair safe not being in the roller coaster thing? Why can he just stand there? Right. What What is the protocol that allows that to be okay? Where sometimes you have to be strapped in, sometimes you don't. Uh-huh. And it's only half. It's not even like, there's only a couple of those seats in there. Uh-huh. I guess it is on yep. both sides. And they're not even all full. Uh-huh. I don't Weird. know. It's so bizarre. And it takes us to Delenn in the Zen Garden. Yes, and she's... Staring at a Japanese Zen garden uh, and being super mysterious the way that Delenn's going to try to be a lot. <laughs> Especially now, his first yep. handful of episodes. And her makeup mm-hmm. is so different. Yes. All the spots. Yep. The bone ridges are like not attached. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember if that, that seems like a mistake. Well, we'll notice it later, I'm sure. Yeah, it just, it seemed off. And Delenn is just like very coy and mysterious. And like, I mean, knowing who she is in relation to the events of everything that's happening, that's about to happen, that has happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how much of that was decided at this point. Mm-hmm. Because if it was, Shaurit lies when she says that she's never seen a Vorlon. Because she's had like a full on like meetings with Kosh multiple at this point before this happens oh see i haven't watched enough episodes yet to know that she would have had that spoilers spoilers that's in (laughs) that's in the other prequel movie okay so if you're watching chronological you watch that before this and you know what i'm talking about if you're watching release order which is what we're watching as we do this podcast right we don't have that pre-knowledge yet you don't have that pre-knowledge yet but Yeah. So it's just, it's so weird. I I know that initially one of the things I won't spoil, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll withrain because this is one of the big twists in the show is the change with Delenn. Mm-hmm. And you either know exactly what I'm talking about or you don't, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Originally they were talking about that transformation with Delenn changing her gender from male to female. Whoa. Yeah. And so Delenn, that's one of the reasons why the makeup on Delenn is what it is. Uh-huh. Is because they were still kind of undecided about that when they made this. I would they, go so far as the to option. say that her costuming is also a bit androgynous. Yeah. Like, because I definitely remember her costumes being more fitted and and feminine mm-hmm. and flowy. And when I watched this pilot, I thought, God, they just like put her in a sack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. This pilot of a sack. We'll talk about that if, uh, at the rate that we're going an hour. But yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there, though. Um, but they also alluded to one thing in the scene that Sinclair and Delenn have known each other. Yeah. And they're alluding to their, their friends somehow. Yeah, not, I, there's some kind friend. of connection. And I don't know if it's in the second half of this episode. Mm-hmm. So possible spoiler warning. 
give everyone a second. We find out that Delenn is the reason that Sinclair is the captain. Okay, so that's clearly not in the first couple episodes then. That must be later in season one based off your reaction. Yeah, yeah, because I've watched at least the first three or four. Okay. And that's not coming to my mind. Okay, that's but, that's a reveal later that the Mimbari government only agreed to send an ambassador if Sinclair was made captain of the station. Because that they, is coming back that to they me. trust. Yes. Yes. And later we find out that that was Delenn. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, she's got a lot of very like puppeteer moves that she makes throughout this series. Yeah. But she's not, she's not quite the puppeteer as some others are. <laughs> Who we're about to see in the background for the first time. Because if yeah. you go to 1355 up here, when we're back in C&C and a ship's mm -hmm. coming in, we see none other than Mr. Morden working in CNC, who is Scrubbing. a very important character in the show. <gasps> what do you want? Is that really him? That's him. How could it not be him? Uh, the, the hairdo is very... It's 100% it's him. Very revealing. Now, whether it's the same character. Oh, no. I'm surely not. I don't know. And I don't know if it's ever been acknowledged. And honestly, I kind of wish I'd put in a little bit of research. Yeah. In fact, you know what? <laughs> well, there's time. Google there's time. So he is... What's the first episode the character appears in? 13, according to the Babylon 5 Wikipedia. Okay. We need to set up an email address so that listeners can email us and tell us when we're wrong. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> and then, you know, no one will read it, so it'll be fine. <laughs> I will read all of them. I will never acknowledge them, but I'll read all of them. We'll, we'll create a bot, and the bot, bot can respond. <laughs> I'll get someone on my team on that. So that is not more than it's the same actor. Same actor. Okay. And I do assume Damn. that it's exactly one of those things. They hired him as an extra. He got along with people. They liked him. They brought him mm -hmm. back at a reoccurring role. Yes. A tale as old as time on TV. Back to the notes. My next note is frictionless sheets. Well, we talked about how the show is trying so hard to be sexy, so right? Hard. We skipped over a thing right before Space TSA where Sinclair comes onto the scene for the first time to warn a random tourist that oh. he's <laughs> trying to pick up this this sexy alien. Who's a praying mantis, yeah. Who is like a praying mantis black widow alien, apparently. After they finish, they eat their meat. Stick and, to the list. <laughs> uh, the thing that got me about that was I was rewatching it again today, just trying to prepare myself. I was thinking about it and I was like, that is like humans, isn't it? Like the second that we get out into space and we find other life out there, we're going to make ourselves a list of which ones we can fuck. 100%. 100%. That's exactly what's going to happen. As soon as we find out there's more than one and it's no longer a binary yes or no, should you? Can you? And maybe it's a... Maybe there's rankings about, you know, this... Danger uh, levels. How, danger levels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the... The list that Sinclair is referring to is the not going to kill you list. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I was like, well, that, I mean, that's very good acknowledgement of the writers mm -hmm. that, 
of the true human nature. Yeah. You know, just, just who we really are as people. Yeah. So that's very forward looking. And that's, that to me also was something that I was like, okay, this show is really trying to distinguish itself from say Star Trek with (laughs) Star Trek's like high minded ideals. Not that Star Trek never tries to be sexy, but they sure as heck didn't throw this much in the pilot. No, (laughs) no, they did not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So also then they throw in this uh, Sinclair's horny girlfriend mm-hmm. who is a pilot and she's coming back and wants to spend some time in the frictionless bed sheets. How does that work? <laughs> is that like sleeping in like a pool of oil? Like you just slide off the bed in the middle of the night, let alone trying them out as they're so apt to talk about. Like yeah. objects in motion stay in motion. It's we, we named a law after it. It's physics, right? Like, what's going to happen there? You're just going to go straight off the bed. Well, this is the 90s, right? So we need to put those frictionless bed sheets on a (laughs) waterbed. Did anybody you know have a waterbed in the 90s? Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 My uncle had a waterbed. Yeah. I had an aunt that had a waterbed. Yeah. Don't. Don't get it. But when we were kids, though, yeah, and we stayed over to like play with our cousins and stuff, that was we all wanted to, to sleep on that waterbed. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I definitely as a kid, like stayed over, slept on that waterbed. And I I don't know. Maybe it's what gave me my back problems. <laughs> I feel yeah, like it's something easy to blame. <laughs> Man, those were a thing once. Not having back problems or waterbeds. <laughs> Both. <laughs> it's definitely the waterbed and not the decade of sword fighting I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely that, that yeah, right. sleeping on the waterbed a few mm-hmm. times. That, yeah, you know, just like as like I was eight, I slept on the waterbed. There's my back for the rest of my life. Uh-uh. You won't notice this until your late 20s, early 30s, but it's going to happen. Do we, do we need to get a, together a class action lawsuit? Maybe. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I, won't, I won't turn down free money. I wonder if those people have any money left. <laughs> the uh, bad people. I'm going to go up on a limb and say no. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of not having any money left, the next season moves us into beating Londo Malari. Yes. Yeah. And from the second we see Londo Malari, he is Londo Malari. Like 100%. there's no, Peter Jurisic needs no time to sink into this character. He is Londo. And Londo is losing his money at the casino. Something we'll see many times. Many times. Yeah. I uh, feel like this this is a recurring theme for him. It is. And location setting. And we get Garibaldi interacting with him in the scene. Mm-hmm. And Garibaldi seems to have some sort of pre-existing relationship with Londo because they're very chummy in the way they speak to each other. Apparently... Garibaldi has loaned him money before because Londo does his his little spiel of, yeah. you know, just back me and I can, you know, I've got a system here at the casino. <laughs> and, you know, Garibaldi says, no, not like last time. Yeah. Yeah, he had a foolproof scheme, all right. It wasn't very scientific, but it worked. Yeah, very like, I have been spurned. We also get a lot of really intricate tracking shots in uh-huh. the casino there. Like, there's a pole... That's perfectly level, like across the table as it like pulls back around. And that is like for not having a track. 
that is an, inc- especially with camera technology of the early of this would have been filmed in 92, presumably, maybe even late 91. Mm-hmm. Camera technology was not where it is today with regards to yeah. like a steady track and steady cam and stuff. That would have been insane. That shot must have probably taken, I'm going to just ballpark 15 times at least, hmm. which is not how you make TV. Yeah, for sure. So we're getting to know each other. I studied broadcast and cinema arts for a year of college. Yeah, I was thinking, I've, I've like, this make, is not something I would have picked up on. I, I have helped make a TV show. I've like mm-hmm. done some of this camera work stuff. I am by no means an expert at all. It was a fleeting year of, in college after I had given up on computers and before I found economics. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that shot impressed the hell out of me. Yeah, this is the visual stuff I'm. I'm less likely to notice unless it's things like the costumes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that comes from my my undergrad degree was in opera. And there's some pretty fabulous costuming in opera. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to come out and say it. And I think maybe that's one of the things that I really appreciate about the Londo character is he has that very like classical, but with futuristic edges to it, mm-hmm. costuming. It looks very impressive. And the costuming just in this show in general mm-hmm. is insane. Like the level of attention to detail in costuming. There is a scene in season four that is a like premonition that Londo has in season one. And they mm-hmm. go out yep. of their way to explain that something had happened to the coat that he wears in season four. So he reaches into his closet, grabs his coat from season one, and then experiences what he had had the premonition of from season one. They like throw away a line in there so that he grabs a different coat. And that's why he's wearing that coat for that scene. Like he has in his premonition later in this show or well, in a call, I think it's in like five or six episodes, whatever it says. Yeah. That's the level of detail they get into with the costuming. Yeah. Also, I appreciate that. Make a cameo in season four. Can't wait. Yeah. When we get there, they're all Mimbari. It's very appropriate, their cameo. Uh, So it's fun. Yeah. The the costuming team on this show is fantastic. Even if all of the blue uniforms are missing the red stripe that they really, really need in the pilot. They're just giant blue blocks walking around. They look like Lego people. I had noticed the same thing. I was like, this looks very, there's not a lot of contrast. Yeah. Once they get that red stripe starting, I think it's even in the the second episode. Mm -hmm. It improves so much. Yep. Yep. And so after this, we have, we go to Jakar again. Mm -hmm. We get, we get the, yeah, we, we get a little bit of what, what is Lita Alexander's purpose here? Yeah. And we get a, little business meeting that made me laugh because mm-hmm. the at the end the guy is like i'm gonna find the guy who thought of renting telepaths out to businessmen and shoot him or whatever yeah and i'm like how are you as we're supposed to be believing that you're an accomplished businessman how have you not encountered this before <laughs> right you've never this has never happened to you before really yeah, you've never had to negotiate with a telepath on the other side of the table, or you've never hired a telepath for negotiation. What kind of a businessman are you? And it, it's not like the Psychor is like a big secret either. She's like wearing the badge. Like, you know what she's doing there. 
And even then they make a point when she comes on board of being like no unauthorized scans. You have to tell people when you're scanning them, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's a privacy law. So he clearly knew. Mm -hmm. But we've got to get we got to do some exposition and be dramatic about it. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we get that little scene. But then we get Jakar. And he's already doing the hand clasp thing. Mm-hmm. That was my takeaway here. He does it. We see him do it a couple of times already in the episode, the two hands to the chest, like bow thing that he does, mm-hmm. like that he is already within 20 minutes of episode built that into his character. Yeah. You can tell that, it, that he and Londo, they spent time on those characters. I don't know whether it was just the, the writers spending time with the actors on it or the actors just being that experienced, mm-hmm. but they spent time on it. Any thoughts about this scene? Because I found this a little uh, distasteful. And I get Oh, yeah. It's the 90s are were a different time. So this, in the scene, Jakar is explaining to Lita that Narns don't have telepaths. And it seems like maybe a lot of other species do because mm-hmm. the Narns are feeling particularly left out by not having telepaths. Yeah. And disadvantaged. And they want telepaths. And so he immediately, he's, for one thing, I, I would say violated her privacy by looking up her genetic background. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know future law there, but yeah. I, feel, I would feel violated. I would feel really weird about that. Even it, maybe it's something where like the Psychor maintains public genealogy records of type telepaths or whatever, mm-hmm. but still feels a little gross. And then he proceeds to tell her that he's authorized to negotiate a deal to have the first Narn telepath with her. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps talking. And you just want him to stop talking right. so bad because he's going on. And he goes on and on and on. And he said, depending on what your pleasure threshold is. And I said those words. He said those words. And I was just, oh, oh, so skeeved out. Oh. So close. And, I, and I'm sitting there like, you know, because he's he's talking about we can do this by mating or we can do it by cloning. And I'm just going to go ahead and jump to the assumption that you want to mate mm-hmm. and that. Do you want to be conscious or unconscious? Conscious or unconscious. Can we just recognize, let's take a moment here in the podcast, everyone. I'd like you to recognize that unconscious mating is rape. Period. Full stop. There's no, no stop. unconscious sex. Oh, <laughs> It's like, uh, boy, and yeah. I get that, you know, rape jokes were a thing once. And for some people, they're still a thing. Not so much on this podcast. No, <laughs> no, no. It's never funny. And if if rape jokes are still a thing for you, I'd like to kindly invite you to maybe reconsider your position. Yeah. Or Do- fuck off. <laughs> I'll settle for either. Oh, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Yeah. Either of those will work for me. Yeah. Yeah. If you have a conversation about it, send us an email. I appreciate it. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So I, you know, when we were talking about we've added 14 minutes of scene, I was like, I really want this to not be the 14 minutes that were originally on TV. But I have a feeling that they were were on TV. I'm going to guess they were. I think it's so Yeah, stuff that they reshot. I think you can tell sometimes the makeup's a little bit different. It's a little bit better. Namely, Jakar's contacts are different in a couple of scenes. Oh, I didn't notice that. He's got like ones that are like full eye red sometimes. And he's got ones that are just his iris and pupil and stuff. Yeah. So I'm wondering if some of that 
is related. But I don't Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I, I really want this to be something that we just kind of added at the last minute. But at the same time, I was like, nah, it's written too jokey. This this had to be one of those scenes that they were trying to d- define themselves as edgier. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it doesn't work. So after this, we get Kosh attack, which is just yeah. me trying to make a Mars attack joke that didn't land. <laughs> so we, we get uh, Sinclair in the ele- elevator. They meet up. Where's Londo? Kosh is, something happens to Kosh. He's attacked. Yep. And they show us him at 24... 24- Yes. 28, which I'm going to recommend going to. I'm scrubbing there now. And if it's what I think it is, yes, I remember. So the Kosh that I remember is pretty dramatic and spooky and mysterious. And when, when they turn Kosh, when Kosh turns around here at the, the airlock, whatever this is, and he, mm-hmm. in this doorway, he's turning around. I was like, yes, spooky Kosh. We get him. And then, like seconds later, maybe it's maybe it's later in the episode. At some point, he's moving. Yeah, no, I think it is seconds later, and it's clearly just like a football pads on a <laughs> like on a dolly that's rolling. Yeah, I was like, there's nobody in that thing. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the Kosh outfit is real rough in the pilot. Yeah, yeah, so rough that at twenty four twenty eight, Kosh is on his side. And he's a box. Uh-huh. Um, yep. Like, that is fabric hanging underneath. Yep. When he's standing, that is flowing fabric. Uh-huh. But here it has all been starched into literal straight lines. This is uh-huh. a cardboard box that someone has painted. On yeah, the that, that has a costume on top of it. Exactly. Yeah. This is the sack that I was talking about earlier. And um, some <laughs> of this, where this episode turns right here, where we're getting the, the whodunit mystery. Mm-hmm doesn't work for me in some ways because i'm sitting here like so what is what is the encounter suit for <laughs> like yeah. encounter suits apparently don't do shit <laughs> he's a turtle <laughs> get him <laughs> poor turtle kosh <laughs> yeah and then they uh, they take him into med bay and uh, we get the mystery of what vorlons look like yes and we're all talking about that you know, we, we're not supposed to open this Vorlon encounter suit, but if we don't, he's going to die. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. And they open ultimately, Wallace's briefcase. Does he look like a bitch? And the glowing light comes out. Mm-hmm. Like ultimately we decide that we are, we are human beings and we are going to save a life if we can. And we open this encounter suit up and suddenly Dr. Ben has now seen some shit. Yeah. So much shit that he has to vanish for the rest of the series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that he gets whisked away. I think they do mention him in yeah. later episodes. No, no, it was literally he saw the Vorlon, so he got like sent back to Earth Gov or something. Mm-hmm. And yep. yeah, and it's slight spoilers, but they do mention stuff about that with Lita too. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. But you know, they go in and they try to figure out what's wrong with mm-hmm. the Vorlon, and then Sinclair gets on the TV. To back home at earth and that's another thing i wanted to just say that cracks me up about this show at this point at least is all of our, our view screens are very obviously tvs oh yeah <laughs> obviously crt tvs uh, stuck yeah. in a wall mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're talking to a senator on the tv and babylon five politics have never been super clear to me because like 
like I said, when I watched the show, I was 12 or 13 Mm -hmm. and politics weren't real clear to me then. And they still aren't now like real politics. It's almost like that's on purpose. (laughs) But apparently in this universe, the Senate has some power over the military. Uh, Yeah, I guess it must. They interact Mm -hmm. with senators all the time. All the time. Yep. And so Sinclair's got a senator on the TV and the, the, the senator is talking some trash about Garibaldi, for one thing, because mm-hmm. uh, Sinclair is putting Garibaldi in charge of figuring out who, who done it. And Gar- of course, Garibaldi walks in at the same yeah. time. And I get, yeah, we the- get a little bit of world building there, too, with Garibaldi, like moving from station to station, kind of like being a transient, not really having a place or getting along with anyone. Yeah, he's some kind of bad egg. We don't know. But yeah. we also know he's tough because we saw him take down the dust runner. Yeah. So. We're we're learning about Garibaldi and all this. You know, Sinclair basically tells him, do your best. I believe in you. He's the high school teacher that really believes in you. <laughs> and he's going to let you do this on your own. <laughs> and yeah. And also has a wry smile on his face because. Yeah. It's going to get picked up to series. We don't know. <laughs> May as well revel. Yep. Within the moment. Yep. Yeah. We get a, yeah, we get a bunch of stuff here. We get, it's poison. We have a ticking clock until the Vorlons are going to destroy the station or something. It's it's very ambiguous, I feel. Mm -hmm. But it's bad. It's bad. Something's going to happen at this time. What it is, and all I could note is like how much this scene in particular would have been a commercial on TNT at this time. Yeah. Like, because their whole thing at this was, this is drama, was TNT's Mm -hmm. slogan back then. And it's just all like, I understand why they picked this show up now. Because it didn't make sense to me as a kid, but I think watching it through more adult eyes, I can see why they would take a risk on a genre show for them. Yeah. And in in this whodunit process, we get some, they kind of set up, you know, oh, could it be this person? Could it be that person? Like the first one that they kind of go for is they get Jakar in the lens quarters meeting with her Mm -hmm. and kind of accusing Londo. Because Londo wasn't there. So where was Londo? Well, Jakar was, wasn't exactly there either in the scene. Like, I guess it, mm-hmm. the, he said that he's in the reception. I don't understand why Londo needed to meet them at the, needed to meet the Vorlon at the gate, but not. Not everyone else with the reception. Yeah, that all's unclear. But Jakar is clearly trying to single out Londo. Yeah, as, Jakar clearly hates Londo. Yeah, yeah. And we get so much world building in these couple of minutes. Oh, we do. Yeah, yeah. Because Jakar, you know, alludes to the fact that the Minbari were at war with Earth and then just suddenly gave up. And why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Which is a significant plot point later. And also, you know, he's building that hatred for the Centauri. He steps on the lens toes when he accuses her of or her people of having some secret gray council that yeah. made decisions. And she gets... Uh, a little more aggressive than I ever remember Delenn acting. You know, she yeah, she gets she gets into her secret Mandarin Ten Rings chamber and pulls something yeah. out and starts choking him. And I'm just yeah. like, with the force of you know four or five gravities or whatever yeah. she's threatening him with. Which I, you know, the scientific part of me wants to know how the hell does all this work. But right. also, you know, I just didn't remember her being painted aggressively at all in that. Also, and so I think they're trying to allude to the fact that like the Mimbari are quietly dangerous and quietly powerful. Yeah. She's like six gravities is going to liquefy your rib cage. 
And then at five gravities, he's still speaking. And I'm just like, I don't think that's, that's a, that's a big jump. That's not five and six, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, That's Goku, I guess. I wouldn't know. I don't know that much about different gravities and living in them, but it seems like that's a bit much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we get a nice dramatic scene out of it. Yeah. And we get this idea that the Mimbari have some mysterious technology we don't quite understand. And they're a little bit quietly dangerous. Yeah, because there's a pile of rings in that room, in that like, mm-hmm. secret thing that she has. What do you yeah. think the other ones do? Ah, man. Right? If only, if only that came back. I don't think it comes back. It doesn't ever. come back ever. Yeah. No, it's not, I don't think it's ever acknowledged again. That could have been a fun running thing. Yeah. Well, what's, what's the lens rings going to do now? Yeah. Although knowing this pilot, it'd be weirdly sexual and completely yeah. <laughs> just ruin the entire thing for me. So maybe not. Get maybe really wacky don't know. really fast. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. My next note here is for 3430. Mm-hmm. And I've got questions that need answered. I don't know if I can do this for you. <laughs> I, I understand. We'll try. Yeah. 3430. 34. So we're back in kind of the casino bar area. Yeah. Back in the casino bar area. And specifically, I need you to look at the bartender. Is that a gorilla? <gasps> it looks like a Planet of the Apes suit. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. But with like some sort of thing on the ears. Yeah. Is that, is that just like a gorilla from Earth? I think that's what we did is we were like, eh, we need another alien. Let's get a gorilla suit out and do some shit to it. <laughs> like, is that an alien that happens to look like an Earth gorilla or is that an Earth gorilla and they're super intelligent or no, maybe not super intelligent, but intelligent and members of society now. And we just don't get any acknowledgement for that for the rest of the show. Oh, like the cetacean ops dolphins. <laughs> right. But we get them. We get this much and it's never spoken of again. Is Planet of the Apes a real place in Babylon 5? Is, are we going to get a Dr. Sayets cameo? I have so oh many questions. God. That's great. I don't know what to do with this. I like how Star Trek takes dolphins and puts them as, as officers in Cetacean Ops. And Babylon 5, we have gorillas who are bartenders. Oh, this blew me away. I was just like, I literally just paused it and I just sat there and stared at it. My wife is like, what are you looking at? His hair is ridiculous. I'm like, not Londo, the gorilla. <laughs> She's like, what? I'm like, the bartender is a gorilla. Like, you don't even notice him. And it's, I did. Once again, yeah. I'm assuming the gorilla's gender. I apologize. That gorilla. It's something that I'm trying to be better about in my life. Yeah. So after this, we get Londo's big speech about mm-hmm. the former glory of the Centauri Republic. You know, come, we become a tourist attraction. Yeah. Open nine to five Earth time. Yeah. Oh, that line, that line right there really just, that is like his feelings to a T about his society and where they stand in the world right now in the galaxy. Just like, it's not even, you're visiting the Centauri Republic on their time. You're right. Like we're open for your business hours. Yep. Earth, Earth is now the, the dominant time zone. Yeah. Yep. At. I really want to take this monologue and work it up and audition for some community theater. (laughs) (laughs) We are once the great sharks of the galaxy. (laughs) Nice shark. 
pretty shark. <laughs> I really, I really want to do that. And I'll just be giggling to myself the whole time. Oh, that'd be so good. That'd yeah. be so good. Probably I'll let you know when that. I do it. Yeah. You have to let me know. You have to get someone to record you. Right. But still a great scene. It, oh, you yeah. know that. Oh, yeah. I, I believe when I was watching the the intro and the, the credits, I think that Peter Jurisic was the last one. And it was, you know, Peter Jurisic as Londo Malari. And it was like, heck, yes, he mm. he is the probably the finest actor in the at least in this pilot. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't and I don't mean that as a slight against anyone. I agree with you completely. No. And I don't think you do either. It's just he gets the most meat to chew on for sure. Yes, exactly. The The humans are all just kind of running around trying to solve a mystery. But Londo gets to uh, lecture about the past and, and really revel in his character and his culture. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Yep. Yep. And then we get the the hot action scene with not fond of a growing coffee. Mm-hmm. Which I totally relate to because I am a caffeine fiend. If I don't have my coffee in the morning, literally, I will like, I sit down, especially in COVID times, which we're still in for whatever this episode mm-hmm. releases currently at time of recording. Right. We're still in COVID times. Yeah. And I am like the first, I will get up, start working. And then someone says something that pisses me off. And I'm like, oh, I didn't have my coffee yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm upset right now. Oh. I love coffee. I, I come from a long line of coffee drinkers. My father was uh, a physics professor for, you know, 30 years <laughs> and uh, same university from when I was a child up until he retired. And I always knew, that, you know, when you're, when you're a child, you don't have the quite the same sense of direction. But if I got into the science building and I could get up to the second floor, then I could know where his office was by the smell of the coffee. Like <laughs> I would know once I got to, you know, stronger coffee smell. Oh, yep. He's over there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think the point of that they have of her talking about her coffee is they're trying to establish that she's some sort of rule breaker here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I just don't buy. <laughs> <laughs> well, she even goes like, I only, I didn't break the rules then, I'm not breaking the rules now, but I also break the rules to make my own coffee. And I guess I'm due to break the rules. And it's just like. Yeah, it, it did not make any sense. No, I was thinking, it does a track. After you said that, you know, some of this was added, I was like, maybe it's this because it, it logically didn't make sense. And I didn't remember the two of them, the commander and the doctor, having a scene together. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, the, the logic just doesn't follow here because she's talking about I break the rules to grow coffee, but I haven't broken the rules in a long time. And it's like you're literally breaking the rules right at this moment. <laughs> so knowing that if they added anything, it would have been probably when season four was in production, maybe season three. Mm-hmm. They would have had to have gotten those actors back. Mm. So it wasn't things they had previously filmed. And and they just I think some in. of it is. Some of it was stuff okay. they had previously filmed. They might have filmed a couple more stuff. I think they did mostly voiceover changes. Okay. Um, based off what I read. Because uh, um, I could see you easily filming this scene during the the whole thing and then just deciding to cut it. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then we get back on the roller coaster and then everyone gets. And for some reason, up. we're in the harnesses this time. So yeah. I, yeah. I, we're I, in the harnesses I, now. And the <laughs> and the one creature in the back gender unknown is not mm-hmm. there which is a shame because right. you had to set that up once you may as well have kept it um right well that maybe they don't want him to look like he's riding the monorail all the time 
<laughs> He's the conductor of the monorail. What about us, Brendan Slobs? You'll be given cushy jobs. Were you sent here by the devil? No good, sir. I'm on the level. And then Weta goes in to uh, yeah. the Vorlon's mind into Kasha's brain, as it were. Yeah. Brain. Air quotes. Right. They, they, I guess in the rule breaking scene, we didn't cover that they were just deciding to oh, break the rules. Yeah, they decided to break the rules. <laughs> <laughs> to break the rules of not getting permission to, you know, the, the person who's going to be scanned, getting their permission. They're going to scan the Vorlon, even though the Vorlon government has said, please don't. Maybe even not please, just don't, because they want to know what the hell happened and they want to get who done it and they want to get justice and all that so they're going to go ahead and scan the world on yeah uh, they've just got to convince the telepaths to do it and it is a real short walk to get there you know they tell her basically like the vorlons are probably going to come and blow us all out of the sky if you don't do this which mm-hmm. uh, unknown but okay it's not even that it's all like the vorlons are going to just wipe out all of humanity if you don't do this yeah it's like it's very heavily implied that it's like they're starting here we don't know where they're stopping. And it's just like, oh, you know, do this thing that you're super uncomfortable with or effectively be responsible for the genocide of your species. <laughs> your pick. Yep. And so she's like, okay, well, I guess I have no choice then. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes in. And I, I think it's a really nice touch that, you know, that she can't get him to scan. She can't, she can't get to him. The encounter suit's in the way. And she winds up taking off that black glove. Because the black gloves come up in the show a lot. And so she takes off her black leather glove and intensifies contact by reaching inside the suit to get closer to the Vorlon. Yeah. And I, I like that because that definitely comes back. Now, I know that it didn't happen because I watched this a number of months ago. I, five or six months ago, I watched this episode. But every time I watched that scene... I'm worried that when she puts her hand in, it's going to like Hellraiser and like close on her. Right? <laughs> yeah. Or maybe Cube. I, Cube wasn't made. Cube was later 90s. So yeah, like something terrible is going to happen here. Every time she does it, I'm just like, it's going to close on her hand. Why is she doing that? I'm in a horror movie and I'm judging you. <laughs> and it never does because the episode's filmed and it doesn't change on you like that. Thank God if media changed <laughs> like that, I'd lose my mind. But every time, that's like the thing that I think. And she sees through Kosh. They do a really good job of being like, when I see this, I'm going to see it as though it was me. Uh-huh. Which I love that little bit of like place setting for psychic experience. Yeah. Because it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. If you're in someone's mind, you should be seeing from their POV. Yeah. But yeah. you replace them. Like she doesn't see Kosh's arms. She sees her arms. Where mm-hmm. Kasha should be, which I don't know. Something about that just like, of course, that's how it would work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how could it work any other way? And we but find the, out, oh, God. The thing that doesn't work for me about that, though, is we literally don't know what appendages Vorlons have. And why would a Vorlon stick something outside of the encounter suit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because, you know, just because somebody walks up to you with their hand outstretched doesn't mean you shake it. Like, even in some Earth cultures, people don't really shake hands. Yeah. It, you know, it's more of a, a bow or something. So what what did he grab? That's a what, good question. What did he take? <laughs> it's also, it's a good call out because that 
misinterpreted welcome gesture is one of the most key parts of the mythos of Babylon 5. Yeah. That comes in in a bit, and I won't ruin it for anyone. Right. I'll, I'll remember this time not spoil something for you. But yeah, that, that misinterpreted welcome gesture is so important. So it's interesting that I didn't even think about it, but does right, it does come up here. This is like the first instance of it almost. Yeah, and what would, yeah, it would stick anything out. It doesn't make sense. What, what, what would that be? <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah, it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, this pilot's kind of hanging together by a thread, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And we find out it was poison, which we found out 20 minutes ago. Yeah, we pretty much knew that something like poisonous had to happen, right? <laughs> yeah, they told us. They told us outright. He's, he's been poisoned. It was like the first thing they said. I guess the thing is that she's she's located it in a way. Yeah. She's yeah, like, she's it's located. in a skin tab. And it was, you know, on, I think she might have even said something about a wrist. Yeah. Maybe. And it's like, but does he have a wrist? I don't know. Uh, Metaphysical wrist. Mm. Uh, but well, at least she knew like the, the correct side of the body, perhaps. And so then they can trace it figure it out but yes it's all very dramatic something about scanning that vorlon was really hard on her we don't get like super dilated pupils or anything but we get like a very dramatic reaction and and they basically pull her out of the the, the little med bay room mm. there and just in time for our captain to walk in uh-huh just in time for sinclair to walk in and she dramatically raises her hand and accuses him of being the one who has poisoned the Vorlon. Yep. And that's where we're cutting it. That's where <laughs> that's where you do it in the 90s. Part two, yep. to be continued, 100%. Yep. So that's Classic where cliffhanger. Yeah, yep. perfect cliffhanger. Complete with like the long linger on him as she points and screams. Like and, uh, it lasts way longer than it should for the next scene coming right after. Yep. It's, it is super slow and dramatic. And there's every single like, you know, shot of her face her lifting the finger, his shocked expression. Like it's, yeah. it's the formula. <laughs> 100%. I think it's a, it's a good cliffhanger. I mean. For sure. And hopefully it makes you want to listen to the next one. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> it's never too early to self-promote. Yep. <laughs> Except maybe an hour into your first episode. Might be I know, funny. right? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. <sighs> Boy. This is fun. Yeah, this was good. I look forward to watching the next 45 minutes and seeing if any more monkeys show up. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to up my background watching game <laughs> because you have come up with some some good background moments oh. that I did not see. Uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. And on, the, on our next episode of Who Are You? Yeah. A Babylon 5 Watchcast. Yep. Blamo, episode over. We don't have any, there's no ads. <laughs> oh you need to thank people you need to thank we have theme music don't we oh yes so the theme music is jeremy siegel thank you jeremy that's all folks well hello and welcome to how are you how are you look at me i'm a dumbass <laughs> Are you sure you want me to do this? Are you sure you want to do this with me? 